0: episode of the bear down podcast joined by tanya hughes to talk all things hall of honor all things hall of fame all things wildcat tanya thanks for joining us
1: glad to be here and thanks for the invitation to
0: join absolutely so much to talk to you about want to get right into it we start all these podcasts with the the stories of these of our greatest champions our greatest wildcats and for you your journey starts in Lexington Park, Maryland, small town, Maryland. What was growing up uh, there like for you? And what was your kind of introduction to sports like growing up in small town, Maryland?
1: Yeah, I mean, so Lexington Park is about two hours south of Washington, DC to give people an idea. And there's a big Navy base there. And my dad was in the Navy. So uh, big, large Navy installation. So you had a lot of kids that came in and out through that. But I grew up in in Lexington Park. like I said, small town, um, very family oriented. And and when you talk about my introduction to sports, it came by way of family. I mean, I I would have been viewed as a tomboy back in the day because I grew up with a lot of boy cousins and um, they wanted to play football or basketball or whatever. And of course I wanna play and they would play like boys would and they didn't make it easy but because I could score or I could catch the football or I could run past somebody, uh, needless to say, I, I uh, fared pretty well. Didn't get tackled too often, but they saw I could score. So um, so introduction came early and, and uh, in terms of family, but also one of the things that I would say from a track and field standpoint that I mentioned in that interview too with um, with them was about the turkey races. That was a local thing in our hometown that, as a kid, elementary age, you ran around the field, boys and girls, co-ed, and whoever ran around the field won a turkey, whoever got first. So I think I entered the first time maybe in third grade, and I've won a turkey for the next couple of years for mom. Uh, and so, so that worked out. And then going into middle school was when I really started to do organized sports.
0: Now- I'm imagining young Tanya Hughes scoring touchdowns on the field as a national champion high jumper. Are we, are we catching the high balls and and getting at the highest point or are we just running past people?
1: Well, uh, high balls work, but also I played basketball and volleyball. So, so for me to be a high jumper, all that jumping went into effect, right? Whether it was doing a layup or whether it was spiking the ball. So um, we, in, in high school, from a volleyball perspective, we were state runner-ups two years in a row, my junior and senior year in the state of Maryland. And in my senior year of high school, we actually won the basketball championship, uh, state championship. So uh, all that jumping came in handy in a couple of other sports as well. So so when it came to uh, playing with the cousins, yeah, the high ball or being quick around them kind of worked out.
0: So when you're coming into high school and obviously you're playing a ton of different sports, how did the process recruiting-wise for you to make the journey from Maryland to Arizona come to be?
1: Um, well, it started really once I made my first U.S. junior team, which was uh, my sophomore year. I was 15 years old, and I made that team. I was junior, and the person that actually won um, was J.C. Broughton who went to Arizona uh, a year ahead of me as a high jumper. And so I was, as a result of that, I was put into a program with the U.S. Olympic Committee. They do a junior development program in which you would go to the Olympic Training Center uh, for a camp of development, and you would have a clinician that would be your primary person during that time to help in terms of your development. So my junior and, uh, and senior year, I had Bob Myers. Bob was one of the clinicians who was one of the assistant coaches as well. Bob was a clinician with the US Olympic Committee and the whole training center um, process with the USA track and field. So I was introduced to Bob and some other um, college scouts. So I tell people if I had not gone to Arizona, I might've been a long war because Sue, Sue Humphrey was also a clinician that I gained um, you know some experience with and helped in my development when I was on the junior team. And they both were also coaches. So that whole junior, NGB USA track and field and being involved um, in that gave me an exposure to great coaches. And in turn, you know, I was doing well. Um, I finished high school. I jumped 6'1, six, 6'1 one, six, one and a half out of high school. So, so I had a lot of uh, people that recruited me, but I also made the US junior national teams three years in a row and competed um, as, as a junior on the junior circuit.
0: So you you make they make the jump to Arizona over Texas and others thankfully for us and (laughs) your experience as a student athlete we'll get into all the championships won but an interesting note that you mentioned before was the kind of era of of track and field in college at that time and just some of the great champions from throughout the Pac-12 from throughout the country what were some of your idols like when you were a student athlete here?
1: Well, when it came to track and field, I mean, we're in the pack. We're in the, we were the Pac-10 then, were at the Pac-12? So that's the era I was in. Um, but you, you were always battling with UCLA, USC, ASU, um, and so um, Oregon is a is a powerhouse now. But you know, you had Oregon's and Washington, Washington State, so Stanford. So during that time, um, you you had the collegians, but you also had the professional athletes that trained with us. That were part of our day to day um, experience, and so um, when when I look at my time of competing um, on a national level, uh, you would have seen like Jackie Joyner Kersee, you know Gail Devers, Jan Wushlog was a high jumper who made teams for us um, that Bob also coached. That was and she was also. Uh, part of our training regimen there at Arizona, even though she was a professional athlete. She worked out with us. Um, we had so many other great people. I mean, of course, people are going to talk about Carl Lewis or the thing that I remember probably the most, you know, when I think about my Olympic experience that everybody talks about too, is that was the first year of the dream team. So even though we were, you know, experiencing having this great experience, there was a bigger elephant that in the room that was kind of happening during that time too um that people remember most and it is what it is right i think um as we were looking at some of the national championships we talked about how coverage of men and women sports you know and how those things have changed over the years you know we were in an era like i said where um there was a lot to be had but we were a lot of things were overshadowed by the fact that it was the dream team uh that was that year of 92 when i was on the team but Great, great performers, um, great teams, and you know, Carl Lewis, Gail Devers. um, You know, we we really had some great folks that were uh, performing. And I'm just blessed that I had an opportunity to be a part of that.
0: And part of your experience that really impacted your life as a student athlete as well, Tanya, was serving on the student athlete advisory committee, SAC, and it sort of maybe sparking a passion for you. Talk to us a little bit about what that did for you as uh, off the track and and how it kind of maybe catapulted you forward to some things later on in life.
1: Well, one of the interesting things during that time, and to now see that students can be paid for their name, image, and likeness, we, during that time, I I was at Arizona 90 to 94. And so being on the student-athlete advisory committee was all about the student-athlete welfare. How could we improve student athlete welfare. And one of the things was, you know, it was under debate then was student athletes getting paid or student athletes getting additional monies. Um, And so being able to serve on that student athlete advisory committee, I also was able to then not just represent Arizona, but I was nominated and actually became the chair of the national student athlete advisory committee through the NCAA. And during that time we had Sed Dempsey and Rocky LaRose. So Rocky and Sed were very much, they very much encouraged, they very much supported. And me being on the National Student Athlete Advisory Committee, we had, we were a committee from around the country. We actually got to speak on legislation at the NCAA. We actually got to speak on the floor. We could not vote, but we could speak. We could join committees and give a perspective once again on improving student athlete welfare. But even back then, we were talking about how could we pay student athletes um, or give them something. And I'll give you a personal situation in which my mother was a single mom and um i didn't get a lot of help but she made they said too much money for me to qualify to get a pell grant even though she gave me no financial assistance i didn't have so all that i got was through the university of arizona my scholarship took care of everything and i wasn't i didn't get a lot of support in terms of financially in any other place and so I, but I was being um, competitive, I was winning, but I couldn't get paid. So some of my best years of college in, in terms of competition, in terms of performance came during my college years, and I ran on the Nike circuit as part of the Nike club, but because I was an NCAA student-athlete, I could not get paid a, a performance fee, I could not get, you know, paid to go, um, I could take, get per diem, but even in that regard, right, during that time, how could we have done more in terms of student athlete welfare and making sure that we could, that, that they were provided for. I'm grateful, hey, I made it, <laughs> you know? Um, but those were issues that, were, uh, that we were really fighting for in terms of student athlete welfare and equity um, among sports, revenue, non-revenue producing sports, making sure that people had what they needed. And, and so um, it, it sparked a passion just to continue to be an advocate um, an, advocate, an advocate for equity and um, whatever we do, and making sure that women's voices and that our experiences are um, considered and also addressed when it comes to um, decisions that are being made uh, across the board.
0: Now, I wanna take you back to the track as it were. You had a string of national championships I want to see how much you remember of, of, of some of them, or the first one, I mean, your indoor track and field championship in, in 1991, do you remember where you were, do you remember how, how it played out, do you remember, what do you remember about that first national championship you won?
1: Um, well, it's, it's, it's interesting, because uh, Bob, Bob was my coach, and I qualified, and I was a freshman, so Bob's like, it's just great to be here, Tanya. Like, don't put pressure, you know, it's just great to be here. You know, no one expects you to win, you know, so really chill about it. Right. Not not have any pressure and, and to have fun. You know, Bob was always about to have fun with it. And, um, and I won. And so, but with, with the high jump, I mean, it's a long event, right? I mean, we can be out there depending on we each get three attempts at every height and depending on how it goes. I mean, we we're out there for hours, so everybody's around us, but um, we, things were winding down. I won and sometimes you win things and no one's there because by, by, it's the end of the meet. And so, but Bob, we finished, um, you know, we had the award ceremony and we went to Steak and Shake because I think that was <laughs> the only thing open. And, you know, he was like, oh man, you did it. And we just, we had Steak and Shake. We were in Indianapolis. Uh, that was the indoor meet. we were in Indianapolis, we had steak and shake. I had won a national championship and was, you know, eating a burger and a shake with my coach right afterwards. So that's what I remember about that first one and it was special.
0: Now, you went on Tanya to win the outdoor champ- national championship 3 years in a row. You 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 know, had a whole bevy of national championships that you won individually as a, as a high jumper. Is there a favorite moment of that group or or is there there a totality of of moments that you think back to during your national championship runs because you had multiple of them that you still think about today?
1: I mean, 92 was a good year as as what I would say. Um, uh, um, In 91, when I won indoors, I won outdoors. I did set the American junior record. So I think I'll I'll highlight that one maybe for a minute because (laughs) um, that was 19 and under. I jumped 6'4 and a quarter, um, set the American Junior at Eugene Hayward Field, yep. and um, it stood for 25 years until Vashti Cunningham just broke it, I think, probably, like, I think in 2016. So, so I think I'll keep that one, you know, as a special moment. Um, but then in the 92, um, you know, I won outdoor nationals, and I set the NCAA record at 6'5 and a half at half or- in Oregon in Eugene, and I was uh, 20. I was going into the Olympic trials. Bob had, um, had left and was um, an AD at another school, but, um, and Jan Wishlaw was training, uh, had taken over at the U of A. So she was helping with my training. And then I did train with Bob for a few, few weeks going into the Olympic trials in New Orleans. And once again, I was the youngest one. No one predicted me to win, even though I just won outdoor NCAAs. And um, and I won the U.S. Nationals and made the Olympic team. So that was a that was a good year. That was that was a good year. And and um, the experience of Barcelona, um, I'll also remember it because um, I placed eleventh in the finals. I was the only American to make the finals. But what most people don't know is I actually got hurt prior to um, competing. And. A lot of times the best surfaces that we compete on and track and field for those fast times and those, those good performances come on what's called a Mondo track, which is really almost like concrete with just a sliver of, you know, track on it and you get those fast times. But I was training on that repeatedly and they had that there. And so I had, I had some issues with my plantar fasciitis and they were trying to get it calmed down, but made the finals, uh, placed 11th and, um, but 92 would have been a good year uh, and remembering so many things that happened. So I'll I'll, I'll say that that was a good one.
0: So 92, obviously a great year. I'll jump forward to 1994 and another historical achievement for you and your career, Tanya, becoming Arizona's first ever NCAA Woman of the Year, the top honor given by the NCAA to an individual female student athlete. What was that like for you to have that kind of almost be at the end of your career, but also a, a first in Arizona history?
1: It, it was um, amazing. Uh, what they did is we, it was in Washington, DC, which made it even more momentous because as I said, I grew up in Maryland and my family was able to be there. And um, so they had the finalists, there were six of us, there were finalists there and they had a breakfast with us to let us know who won ahead of time right? Before that evening. And um, I didn't realize how I responded to shock. But just so you know, I respond to shock with laughter and crying at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So we were at, um, we were, we were at our breakfast and and they said, you know, um, you know, our winner is, and it's, and I just started laughing and crying and and just in shock. And, uh, but oh, ever so grateful. And once again, sad and, and rocky. And And uh, being there, um, Robin Roberts was the host uh, of the event that year as well. And so um, to be honored amongst the great women that were also nominated and finalists and and to have won that um, was just truly a blessing, very grateful um, that I was selected. and, And it just speaks to how at the University of Arizona, we holistically address the student athlete Because for me to be the first and for us to have three more after that, and we're the only school that has had as many, right, speaks to how we truly look to give opportunity uh, for folks to thrive, not just as student athletes, but as people and having an impact in the community. So um, it was an amazing experience. Of course, one I'll never forget. Honored to be the first and so glad that I'm not the last.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, that was uh, the NCAA Women Year came in 94, and that was sort of, uh, obviously, you mentioned, you know, you started your first championship in 91. When you wrapped up college and you graduated from the University of Arizona and you had this storied career of success on, on, off, you know, in sport, in the classroom, in the community, where did you think life was going to take you for life after competition when you left the University of Arizona?
1: Well, I knew that I wanted to train for 96 because I was going to be in Atlanta. So, um, you know, one of the things that I did um, go through a process, I did not get a Rhodes Scholarship, but I went through the process and was one of, I made it through the first round. And as part of that process, you do an application around what you would study if you went to Oxford. And with my background and competing all over the world, international relations was of interest to me. So when I didn't um, when I didn't get the Rhodes Scholarship, um, I remember asking one of my business professors, "I'm like, well, where's the best international business school?" You know, um, I knew that I wanted to pursue to continue to pursue my education. Initially, I thought about law school, but that would be a bit much. Trying to train, I had two years before '96. So I asked my, my uh, marketing professor and she said, well, Thunderbird's right up in Glendale. I said, California? She said, no, <laughs> Arizona. I'm a Maryland chick, so I'm thinking California, not Arizona. <laughs> so um, so I, I applied and I got into Thunderbird um, International Business School. I felt that whatever I was going to do at one point, you know, my goal was to um, possibly work for the IAAF. To continue in sports in some way, um, with the IAAF, or in some some men, or be involved in sports. I also thought about you know college collegiate athletics as well. Um, and as I went through that process of going to business school, I was like I, I was loving it, and um, I actually interviewed, and my job out of out of big B school was with IBM one of the things I've always wanted to do is be with the best. And my, one of my uh, thoughts there was if I could succeed as it relates to one of the best companies in the world, IBM, that I could take those skills and competencies and move those even into administration back into sports. So I always felt that I would still keep some type of thread you know, connected to sports in some way. Um, and so, um, so went on and worked for IBM technology, loved it. Continue to love it. I've been in uh, financial technology, or today they call it fintech. I've worked with banks and uh, banks and in payment systems um, around the globe. I've been working with those types of firms um, since I left business school. I continue to compete. I made. I was fifth at the uh, Olympic trials. I retired in ninety seven. Um, I got married in ninety six and went on to have have a little girl who's not so little anymore, um, in 98, so she's 23 now. <laughs> but, you know, I, I knew I wanted to, to be successful. I wanted to work for the best. I wanted to always strive in, right, to be world-class. Where, wherever I was, there's the passion and the drive to be the best. So if that's working with the best companies, helping clients succeed, be the best, innovation, all of those things uh, come into play regardless of the context. So definitely transferred. From the competitive life of track and field to the competition of the corporate world.
0: And your legacy, as it were, Tonya, continues to to come full circle just this last March, inducted into the Pac-12 Hall of Honor, the Pac-12 Conference's highest honor an individual student-athlete can get. What was that experience like for you first, hearing you're gonna be inducted, going to Las Vegas with with a very decorated class and and being honored during the Pac-12 tournament?
1: Well, when I got the call from Erica and uh, it was the end of December, I think I teared up. I got very emotional and she said, you know, she told me about the the Pac-12 Hall of Honor and that the university had selected me to be our representative to be inducted. So I um, felt very humbled and blessed and honored. And like I said, when I'm in shock, kind of got teary-eyed a little bit <laughs> about the fact that I would be inducted. And so, um, and, and I've had some, uh, some other things happening in the background. So for this news to come on the heels of some things that I've been going through and some challenges just was a, just a reminder. And i was just so grateful to God, like, wow, thank you. Right. Just very grateful. And uh, so we went and and it was a great time. Our, our cohort, uh, uh, we, we, are, we were a lively bunch, uh, to say the least. And it was so great to reconnect with my dear sister friend, Jackie, because uh, she got inducted for UCLA. Jackie joyner curse, And it was so funny because we, we, we did some um, an interview with the Pac-12 Network and um, she came out. And she's like, T, how you doing? It's like, we just picked up from, you know, we haven't seen each other. We probably haven't seen each other in about, um, probably about six or seven years. We haven't seen each other. So it was like sisters coming home to each other. Oh, how are you? So it was great. And and we got to spend time together, but meeting everyone else, whether it was um, uh, Laisha or whatever, was Tom Chambers, he was a hoot, um, Drew, you know, and what's been really cool too is, we're, we're on an email thread that, you know, Drew and his family went to the Olympic training center. So he wow. he's back to our group, you know, um, you know, and so it's, it's been good. We're going to continue to make sure we stay in touch. And the joke is that we'll have maybe next year, we'll meet at Drew's winery, uh, to, to <laughs> kind of, you know, to, to kind of, you know, pick things back up, you know, so whatever city we're in, we we'll, we'll make sure we're, we're going to, uh, touch base with each other, uh, and support one another. And we have two of our track and um, Jenny and English will be competing at hopefully at worlds, you know, yeah. they'll qualify for world championships. And, uh, so we'll right, be right there, cheering them on. I got my ticket. I'll be there the first weekend and, uh, of, of world championships in, in Oregon. So, um, so to have that connection is, is beautiful.
0: No, I think it was, um, maybe divine or maybe just perfect timing that your induction, the Pac-12 Hall of Honor came on the 50th anniversary of Title Nine. And you mentioned this before, how, it, how uh, the you know, enactment of Title Nine brought a, a girl from Maryland out to the desert to compete at the highest levels and, and start a whole career, uh, both jumping and in business. What was that like to see that overlap uh, and knowing that you went into the Pac-12 Hall of Honor on the 50th anniversary of Title Nine?
1: Um, I, I think it's, it's great. I think in terms of the shift that happened with the Hall of Honor, because I think uh, previously it, it was not a um, co-ed type of event, nor was it a uh, diversity of sport type of event. It was primarily with men's basketball. So to know that we were being inducted um, as this next class uh, that came in and we had a diversity of just women and the sports that we represented um, all achieving at a high level. It just speaks to the progress that has been made um, in regards to uh, women in sports. I think there's still a long way to go as it relates to continuing to be intentional. And I think we, when we see examples of, and, and just what happened last year, for example, with women's basketball national uh, final, right? The women's setup versus the men's setup. So for that to happen, and that was just in twenty. You know, 2021, right? Lets us know while we've made progress, there still has to be intentionality as we plan, prepare, and provide resources, right, to to sports in a way that's equitable, and um, and so and to ensure that the experience, right, is not diluted because we're women. Nor should we um, be okay, because uh, oftentimes we we may settle because oh, they're just gonna do that anyway, right? We have to push it. And sometimes that, that becomes hard, continue to be a voice to say, hey, have we considered, hey, have we considered, hey, this isn't fair. We always need to have that lens um, that's, that's tuned into the things that we do to ensure that we're providing a, once again, you know, inclusive and equitable type of environment uh, for both men and women's sports.
0: Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit on this one, Tanya, but you are a figure in the rich women's sports history here at Arizona. And you mentioned trailblazers that have also been here, Rocky LaRose, the three other folks that won NCAA Women the year after you. When you look back now, present day, here we are in April of 2022 – how do you see your impact or, or how do you feel about being a part of what has been a rich, storied legacy of women's sports at the highest level at Arizona?
1: I mean, I mean, you have Mary Roby and others, right, that, that paved the way. Um, I'm a thread in this fabric, is what I will say, right? Each of us is a thread and it makes it stronger, makes it rich. Um, it makes it, um, it makes it lasting, right, as we're woven together. And so to be a part of that fabric of how we have um, built um, a culture for for women in sports, um, and we celebrate that, I think is awesome. I, I find that Anytime I get a call and they're like, hey, Tanya, we're going to do something. I'm there. you know. I know they're trying to plan something uh, in June around you know, this 50th anniversary and, and to see how we come and we continue to celebrate each other, right? Because we're still winning. When I, when I turn on and I'm seeing Adia and the women's basketball team, man, I'm hollering. But we're celebrating that. And the fact that we continue to make sure it's visible and we must do that. We need to make sure it's visible. We need to bring resources to it. And we need to continue to wave the flags, strike up the band every time we can to continue to keep it in front of people of the great things we're doing, not just in, in, in women's athletics, but in the athletics period. Our women are some bad babes at the University of Arizona. We we are winning championships. We are, we are continuing to excel and perform at high levels. And we're finally, uh, I think consistently seeing coverage of that as well from a media perspective so that it stays out front digitally in this era that we're living in. So I'm blessed to be a part of the fabric, one of those cords, and anything that I can do to continue to, to highlight, reinforce and, and shed light on how uh, we've created a culture to truly excel. And I think other schools and other, not just schools, but other, um, other businesses can learn from the intentionality that, that we see and how we approach um, making sure that we are um, having an equitable experience for both men, men and women at the U of A.
0: Amen to that, Tanya. No better way to end this podcast than that tremendous statement you had about some bad babes here on the 50th <laughs> anniversary of Tile Nine. So I wanna thank you again, Tanya, for joining us here on the Bear Down podcast. Thanks again for your time. You're
1: welcome.